getting some people up here, I think, because I'm bored of talking just to you. That's also everything I know. I don't know anything else. <laughs> um, so the second part of what we're going to talk about is uh, building and growing um, expectations and ambition, which I, I kind of like. Um, before we do invite our first speaker, we should thank our sponsors. We definitely um, should. Yeah, definitely we, should. Um, uh, our title sponsor, Chimbali, who are over there. We want to thank them very much for Round their support. Round of applause, Round of applause please. please. So you say Chimbali and I say Chimbali. Yeah, because you say it wrong. Oh. <laughs> Neither of us are Italian. It's probably Progresso or something oh, like that. We definitely said it wrong. Um, so we're going to be talking to operators of the north, apparently. That's what my notes say on there. You could call a band that, couldn't you? Operators of the north. That could be a good, good boy We're band. having rehearsals after this, if you just want to come. Um, as the audience members, like, please don't be shy to ask questions. We really would love your interaction. So if you want to ask a question at any point with our speakers up here, raise your hand and we'll see it eventually and we'll, we'll come to you. So, uh, yeah, so keep drinking and make them more interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so shall we invite our first guest? Off up? you go. So um, our first guest is uh, Timothy Bosworth uh, from Hexton North in Harrogate. Um, kind of quite a bit of experience of being down in London originally wasn't it you've kind of got a, a, a lot of that and you're going to come up and, and tell us a little bit more about that um, Harrogate super interesting place to be running a coffee business as well and I think fairly unique to the north so uh, can we have a big round of applause please for Timothy pick a favourite oh me oh there you go is this on hello hello there you are how are you I'm grand thanks for joining us Irish yeah, I'd be called worse. <laughs> yeah, wait until he asks you about the crack again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Timothy, for those who don't know you, kind of, can you give them a little bit of background of kind of how you got into coffee, your background, kind of what inspired you to to be in this industry? I think, like most people, it started with just being a customer, going to the bars, going to the oh, closer, going to the uh, the coffee shops. Uh, and speaking to the baristas, not really knowing about coffee. Um, always interested in people. So I'd go into these places, ask the questions, why do you make that? Why does it run for so long? But looking back with hindsight, it was more about having that one bad coffee. Uh, I was in a branded store. Um, I just I couldn't taste the coffee. This was sort of circa 2012. Um, lived in London, from the north, Haggard, traditional spa town. Very yummy mummy. Milfs, if you... So wish to go there, um, but it was very tea room focused. Lived in London for 13 years. Thought it was an opportunity to bring Hoxton specifically, area of East London, for those of you who don't know, to the north, and really just try and champion what we'd experienced, my wife and I, of this speciality that was, I say again, probably circa 2007. It was really sort of changing the way in which people viewed coffee. Um, our idea was to take that and bring that to the north. I think that's, for me, a fairly unique business plan that I've seen of like taking London outside of London and putting it somewhere else. Right. So obviously, so I, I go into some coffee shops and they're obviously so inspired by the London scene. You know, it, it, it's an inspirational place, not just for people outside of like, you know, in the UK, kind of outside of London, but worldwide, the eyes look at London right. um, for the coffee scene that's there. But I think it's the first time I've seen somebody say, no, no, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to take that up there. What kind of why is what, why do you think that gave you an advantage? Like, what? well, look, London, uh, outside of say Paris or Barcelona, 
it's a fantastic city. You know, you've got people from around the world on your doorstep. You can talk to someone from Spain one minute to Paris the next, or within, you know, 20, I'd say, whether it's minutes or particularly Soho, for example, East London. And so for us as a business, having lived there and experienced this diversity, both in culture and now in the, in the coffee industry, it made absolute perfect sense. And most cities have that whereby a trend happens. It happened with cupcakes years ago. If you remember where cupcakes became really trendy and then suddenly everyone was doing cupcakes, right? We saw this with coffee. Now in the north, particularly in Harrogate, it was tea rooms. It was old-fashioned tea rooms. I can't mention the one we're talking about, but everyone mentions tea I, I think we've all got the name in our head, right, as you say, okay. tea rooms. Yeah. It's okay. Um, so for I us, don't. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Betty's. And so for us, it was important to bring a difference to the market. And that's a key USP for us, is bring that difference to the marketplace, Hoxton specifically. Um, the challenge for any business, and for us particularly, was why would we be so different than anybody else, particularly with tea being so popular? And the answer was simple, because the market was changing. People were drinking coffee. It wasn't so um, focused on being trendy. It was more about providing the customers with choice, and, and we did that. How was it received? Well, I won't, I won't mention again the place I want, we I want you to say initially it was terrible. I want you to give me like a, an <laughs> We awful went into story. a bar and um, one lady said, well, Hoxton's not Harrogate, you know. And so, uh, <laughs> F them. Um, you know, we did it because that was what we saw. We lived that, we experienced that in London and we knew it would work because like most cities, the trends follow regionally. Uh, and we saw that and we're very fortunate that it's, it's, it's been that trend and we've been you know, thankful of that. I'm going to uh, invite somebody else to come and join us as well so we can get into the discussion. But before we do, I'm going to ask everybody who comes up this, and I'm just going to, they're going to get time to think about it, you okay. get it thrown at you. Okay. Harrogate, describe it in a sentence to people that don't understand what Harrogate is. MILFs, um, <laughs> WAGs, Yummy Mummies, yoga. Are there any men that live there, for instance? Uh, a few. A few. Some students. It's a beautiful spa town in the north of Harrogate, in the north of England, rather. I've been uh, in a few spa towns. Have there. you? Where yeah. about? Uh, I've been in Tunbridge Wells. Okay. Do you like it? Uh, I didn't fit in. And <laughs> I was in Leamington Spa. Leamington Spa. Yeah. Okay. Is it like them too? No. No? Does Leamington Spa no. have mills? <laughs> I don't think so. I can't remember. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, beautiful place. But look, Harrogate's... What, circa 55 or so thousand million, sorry? Um, it's, it's traditionally where most people from the regions end up. It's got a high disposable income. So a lot of people are self-made. There's a lot of money there. Um, and those individuals have lived in these cities, are returning back either as parents or still work in London a few days a week. So they've experienced what a city can give them. So for us, people got what we were doing in terms of the offer, so it wasn't that much of a challenge for us. We did our market research and there was an opportunity where people saw that, oh, it's just like London, because they'd experienced those cities. So it wasn't so much of a risk for us because we'd, we'd done our research, basically. Had you much uh, industry experience when you opened up or were you just starting no, from scratch? I was, I was like, perhaps a percentage of the audience here, I was a customer. I think that's the, with hindsight, I would say that's the best thing to do. Go in as a customer, you experience it as a customer, and for me, it allows us as a business to not forget what it's like as a customer. Because if a customer walks in and you're too busy thinking, oh, I now run a business, 
you've lost the game. Yeah. Always forget, always, always, always about the customer. A friend said to me recently, um, there's a guy who he's, uh, sells espresso machines, and he was saying um, that for him, and he came from a different industry before that wasn't coffee. Okay. I think he sold furniture and women's underwear before or something. <laughs> so a, he, was, um, he was saying that for him, specialty coffee until this point has been barista focused. So it's been about what baristas want, what they think, the things they say to each other, then the meetings that happen when they come together. And he said that in the last kind of year to six months, he's seen that it's suddenly becoming customer focused and that our industry is changing. And now it's, people are realizing that if you, if you run a customer focused, especially coffee shop, then that's what's gonna create a viable business model. Well, you showed the, uh, the model before um, and the value proposition. Every man and his dog wants to have a roastery now. Everyone wants to run a coffee shop. What's going to be different? And it's that value proposition. Why should a customer come to your coffee shop, your coffee shop or mine? It's because you might remember their name or you might remember their drink. Just because we all serve coffee, they'll go to yours because you remember their name. It's, it's, it's customers first. Yeah, completely. Shall we get a, another guest to join us? Go on. So our next guest, I've got really bad eyesight, so I have to really squint in here like this, is um, someone who has been running, she was just telling me earlier, been running a coffee shop for uh, 18 months now. No. Oh, I got the wrong one. <laughs> I told you I had bad eyesight. Okay, sorry, I beg your pardon. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> so Pete graduated university with a degree in environmental science and a desire to work with people in an outdoor setting. Going, uh, gaining qualifications in the outdoor industry, Pete started an outdoor company working with young people and corporate groups on team development uh, courses in 2010. During this time, Pete also worked as an expedition leader and led trips across Africa, South America, and Asia, gaining experience in jungle survival and high altitude mountain leadership. Jesus. Wow, that's impressive. So, uh, Grindsbit was an opportunity to run a business that survived the colder climates on the UK as, as Pete's other work only provided a livelihood during the winter warmer months. The speed of Grindsworth's uh, growth quickly saw it become full-time and Pete leading the operational delivery for the company. Pete is working towards bringing both passions together and start to travel overseas to work directly with coffee farms not only to source great coffee but invest back in education and social programs uh, at source. So um, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pete Gibson. Sorry about that. I, I don't know. Oh, it's all right. You're definitely not Alison. <laughs> uh, people that run businesses like yours have a special place in my heart because um, I worked on a coffee cart on the River Liffey in Dublin and it was bloody cold and it was the hardest thing I ever did. So massive, massive respect. But you guys have got like a cabin though, haven't you? Yeah. Originally we had, um, we're at the Trafford Centre. We're at the bus station there that was um, run by my business partner. So that was Luke. And um, that's where we first met. And they wanted to move him over to uh, where the pod is now as um, a mobile vehicle. And we'd worked there for six months and we were completely fed up working in the rain. Um, it was great in the summer and you were on a deck chair with your shades on and you thought you were really cool. And then winter struck and you were just freezing. You. Um, and so we, we pitched an idea and, and we, we, we looked how could we put something um, semi-permanent, uh, that was a bit different, but a council would allow it um, and pass it. And we were really surprised that when we pitched this idea, we said, basically, we're going to put a shed 
and we're going to kit it out as a coffee shop. What do you think? Expect them to go, ooh, no. And they loved it. Um, and they helped us with uh, planning, and, and it was about a year in the process from, from kind of the idea uh, to it landing. Um, and then that was, yeah, the, the beginning, like almost three years ago now. Wow, it's impressive. I've been there, it's beautiful. It's the sort of thing, you, you could, if you stand there for 10 minutes, you see all these people taking pictures of it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, we've still not been able to recreate that feeling that you, you have of sitting in that coffee shop. Um, I respect all the other coffee shops in, in Manchester, and I think in terms of product, we're, we're very on the same par, and you, you go to levels, depends what's come to the, to, through the shop, depends who's behind the machine. But being really biased, I always say the best coffee you can have in Manchester is sat um, in the pod, just purely because nowhere else offers that intimate environment where uh, the barista's a, f a few kind of yards away from you, and you just talk. It's like a, a modern day pub, I've always said. People will sit and they'll tell you that all sorts of problems. Whereas, <laughs> um, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't do tremendous trade and we don't actually want it to now. I think when we first opened, we were like, oh, we're busy, we're queuing out the door, take away, people going to work and you put your business plan together and then you open the doors and you go, ah, <laughs> where's everyone gone? Um, but now with the, with the other shops, that can stay as, as a bit of a hidden secret and people will still... Um, still say to us, oh, I found, I found it. You know, we don't, yeah. it's quite an odd, it's like backwards, because we don't scream and shout about it. We just allow people to, to find it. One of the funniest things a customer ever said to me was, um, I love uh, Grindsmith so much, I don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's really nice to say. He was like, I don't, ruin, <laughs> I don't want to ruin my experience by other people doing it. I was like, it'd be really nice though, if you could tell some people, um, but yeah. That's definitely uh, the one experience I remember working at um, the coffee cart in Dublin, which is uh, Coffee Angel, was that we were right beside the financial district and you had to cross the bridge and pass it to get there. So first thing in the morning, you're absolutely rammed. Like we'd a queue 30 people deep and people used to always say, oh man, it's always so busy. And I'm like, like 95% of our customers would come in that hour. And so people would always see it when it was like that, because when it was quiet for the other four hours of the day, there was nobody there to see it being quiet. You know what I mean? So we'd always, uh, people, the perception that was super busy all the time was always there. Yeah, I think um, we, we've had that a number of times, especially with uh, um, when all the buses came in um, and, and you'd, have, you'd have this enormous queue and then people start to complain that they're not getting their coffee quick enough and you're like, Oh, you need three staff on. It's like, well, not for this one hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a contract with one hour a day. Yeah, that's a difficult thing. Um, so kind of working in a pod, I'm guessing it kind of has its own unique problems. Like, What's been the hardest thing about like, running a coffee shop from something that isn't bricks and mortar and always been there? And what's the hardest part of that? Water. Uh, yes. Water is a nightmare. Um, I installed the pump system originally. Uh, you're glad to know that it has been refitted since then, um, especially when you come in the morning and the pipes burst and the whole place is flooded. Um, but I mean, that was, that was all um, getting rid of wastewater. We didn't think about that. The, the council said, oh, you'll need uh, like a, to, we'll get, allow you to this drain, which is, a, is like 15 meters from it. We're like, oh, that's no problem at all. We'll, you know, easily done it. And we opened our next shop and the staff were really, to me really weird when I turned the tap on, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Run, <laughs> hot running water. You don't understand how glorious this is. Um, the, the, the pod is... Uh, the, the most difficult bit uh, running there was when we were broken into. I think that was the... Um, like you say, the, the, the pod has a special kind of empathy about it. Um, people feel... You can, it's, all, it's tangible. People feel they can put it in the hand, you know, because it is so small. It has so much character. 
and um, it was January, so trade's not brilliant anyway. Um, I, w I was just about to go on our first holiday that we'd, we'd booked for two years, and someone went through the large window, just um, put a hammer to it, smashed it. Um, they, they got away with the float, uh, but they ransacked the till. So we got to it. We got a phone call at six o'clock in the morning saying, you know, you've been broken into. So we're quite positive, me and Luke, and we we, we fixed it back up and we kind of took it as well, you know, a bit jovial, like this is, you know, it's going to happen. This is our test. Um, boarded it up, got loads of support from the media. We thought, oh, silver linings. We're really positive about it. Two days later, they went through the front door, um, ransacked um, the, just the, the till again. We'd, we'd left it, um, we left it empty. So they ripped it out so it was broken this time. Um, and we thought, when I got the phone call again, uh, now we've got a little GS3 in there. Now, I don't know how they're going to sell that in the pub, but I was like, that's us. <laughs> if they've touched the equipment, we're, we're done for. But they'd left it. Um, and from that, um, although it was, that was probably the lowest point um, for the unit, um, it wasn't our worst day of trade um, because we stood in the glass um, and it was all broken and we had the police there. And I had a knock on the door and it was a local businessman who we set up a tab for. And he was like, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm moving away from Manchester. I just came to settle the tab. Um, so he, he was like, does your car machine work? And I like turned around, turned it on. I was like, yeah, it does. And he's like, oh. So he paid off like a 50 pound tab. And then there's a woman behind him who said, I just need like four bags of takeaway coffee. Can you still sell it? So I was like, yes, yes, of course we can. Um, <laughs> so I was like, even in its history, when we were broken into, it still wasn't the worst day of trade. So for us, it was all about turning it around, that it, it has been hard, but the, the amount of lessons that we have learned just, just by running that, I wouldn't do it differently. We need to get another guest up, but before we do, uh, Manchester in a sentence. Kind of. uh, the best city in the world if it didn't rain so much. <laughs> I think that's Dublin's slogan, actually. <laughs> but, yeah. Carl, you're better at reading than me. I can't read that. Okay. It's too small. My eyes are not good enough. This I'm is old. definitely Alison this time, all right? <laughs> okay, so for Alison, the transition from barista to coffee shop owner came about pretty quickly, perhaps even unexpectedly. But she supposes she always longed to do something of her own. Although she only began working in coffee three and a half years ago, Alison now runs BLK Coffee in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which has been open for about 15 months. She's still learning every day, but she's really proud to be, a handful, uh, to be one of a handful of people working to put Newcastle on the map for specialty coffee. Placing second in the UK Brewers' Cup earlier this year was a real highlight. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Alison Bell. Thank you. Yes, this is, this is me, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the Newcastle. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's football. Football related? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I only know things from osmosis from my brother. So okay, that's good. I, I don't, that's fine then. I'm can, not going to be any help in a football discussion, unfortunately. <laughs> I kind of I I actually like Newcastle as a city because I think it's it, it's a real fun place and it's a yeah. real bar restaurant city. Yeah. But I think for a long time until recently it wasn't really a coffee city. No, it's been very um, compared to other UK cities even um, and even smaller places like I mean I would use Harrogate as an example. It's not even a city, but I would say that the kind of growth of speciality coffee or the audience for it seems to have been stronger in the place newcastle for whatever reason it has been slightly slower growth i mean i would say the first 
Uh, the first real speciality coffee shop in Newcastle probably it was about 2010. And it's probably taken around five or six years for it to, you know, really be more than just two places. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I think the population is like 300,000? Yeah, about 250,000, 300,000. So, like, why? Why do you think that is in a a city that has that many people there? So Harrogate has 55,000? But I agree, I think that probably, like, the audience is larger. Why do you think that is? I suppose it's probably something to do with the demographic. I guess Harrogate, as Tim said, uh, very high disposable income, a lot of lot of milk. All, all, all I heard was milk. As he so delightfully <laughs> put it. <laughs> um, Newcastle, I I don't know about milfs. Not an expert on the subject, uh, but it's um, it's a very working class city generally. I mean, it has its wealthier areas, um, but by and large, you know, it's there is less wealth than there is even in Manchester or Leeds. So it has, I think it's taken people a little while to, you know, even be willing to pay more for their coffee, um, I would say. I think that's why it's, it's taken a little while. But um, yeah, I think it's just finding the audience for it. But I'm finding that, you know, even relative to about three years ago when I started working in coffee, people are much more familiar with, I guess, the vocabulary and things that we use in speciality coffee as well as the taste of course i mean there's a there's a great history in the city of, like you know i think of people like pumphreys that have been there for a long time and yeah they've you know that since the been, dawn of time yeah <laughs> and, and you know like kind of supplying coffee information and background so it, it just it really does surprise me that it, it hasn't been more than there but it's obviously changing now yeah i mean it's part of what prompted me to open my own shop because um I worked at a place in Newcastle, uh, Pink Lane Coffee, one of the earlier specialty coffee shops. I was there for about two and a half years. Um, left uh, without any real idea of what to do next. Um, but I knew that there wasn't even really somewhere. I mean, Newcastle um, for coffee is a very difficult city to progress in, um, if you want to progress in coffee. And for me, uh, leaving that job, there wasn't even anywhere for me to move to laterally. Um, So I toyed with the idea of moving down to London for a bit. But um, the, yeah, it was very much a case of either go, kind of submit to the the London way of living, which, you know, I'm told is cripplingly expensive. even in Dublin, that's a thing, though. It's like yeah. I meet lots of young baristas who are like, I'm kind of stuck where I am. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I want to progress. And I'm like, all right, so what are you going to do? And I go, I'm going to move to London. And I'm like, and then you're going to, like, yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. going to move to London. And well, it's, I think it's just because there are, there are more jobs. But for me, um, it was essentially a case of the, it, it's really ironic as well, because I think when you open a coffee shop, or at least for me, I think people assume that it's a dream that I've, I've had for a very long time and something I've always wanted to do, which it actually wasn't for me. It was really strange. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of, but the people I worked with at the time at my last job, um, I think, if memory serves, I was the only one who never once voiced an interest in opening their own shop. And really ironically, I'm, I'm the one who's running their own shop, so I don't know what 
happened there, but I think I got to the point where I just didn't see any other option. Yeah. As silly as that sounds, it was like I kind of examined all my other options um, and then thought, well, screw it. I'm just going to have to open my own shop now. I have no other viable options at this well, point. Well, that seems like a really good place to start because like, what you're really telling us is that you wanted to progress and you needed a vehicle to do that. Yeah, I, I that knew... That seems like a better motivation I'd, than just, I'd, I want yeah, to own the shop. Yeah, I'd, I'd taken my last job as far as I could um, and basically just needed to, needed to do something else. Knew I wanted to do something in coffee. So, for example, you know, within a week after leaving my job, I was blogging almost constantly. I have a blog called Black Coffee and Other Stories, which is also where the name of the shop forked from. But because I opened a shop, I haven't updated it in a while really need to get back on that one but as you know it's you know eats so wait, up quite a lot of time i need to ask you is it black or is it blk it's it's whatever you want it to be because i've never i've never heard anyone say it but i read about it all the time it's, and i I'm say like, blk because um well for example my friend joe who owns flat caps coffee in newcastle uh i think when people started asking him about it um he didn't because he'd only seen it in writing he didn't know how to talk about it to people so he very very adamantly one day asked me he was like well which one is it and I said well it's, it can be either he's like no I need to know which one it is so that I can tell people I was like well god's sake it's BLK but then I have people ask what does BLK stand for like, well, it doesn't stand for anything it's black but someone stole the A and C yeah. it was just the only thing That's that came so in so typical of Newcastle they stole the A oh, and the C never happened in Sunderland <laughs> wouldn't happen in Sunderland oh dear um, well for me as well, it was, I liked the way it looked in writing. It was the only one, it was the only name I had that when I wrote it down, I could see kind of everything fall into place. And it was only when it came time to talk about it with people, I thought, oh crap, I'm actually gonna have to say this out loud now and I have no idea how to say it. But um, it's great, yeah. I mean, I, I keep trying to come up with, you know, creative joke acronyms for when people do ask what it stands for, but I haven't really got any. So this next door to our shop is um, the National Asset Management Association, who are basically trying to pull the, the country out of bankruptcy. And uh, the accountants that worked there decided that 3FE stood for three fucking euro. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't know what 3FE stood for for a long time. I didn't realize it meant third floor espresso. And I remember meeting Craig at um, Craig Walsh, who roasts for 3FE, does he? No. No? No, he sells espresso machines. Right, okay, I was close. Um, <laughs> and lies, evidently. <laughs> anyway, and he, he had third floor espresso on his lanyard. And I was like, oh, I've not heard of that before. Where is it? And then he just said, oh, 3FE. I was like, oh, right, of course. So that was interesting. Anyway, tangent. Um, <laughs> so what's been, what's been the biggest challenge? My biggest challenge. Are you what, 18 months in now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's really strange, actually. It's been my first year of running a business for me was actually less stressful than my last year of employment, but for different reasons. It's been like a lot of hard work, um, but I, I had the luxury of having... For example, because um, I remember in a podcast where you mentioned that the first 18 months of a coffee shop can be hell because you're trying to fill your audience and etc. I was quite fortunate that I had a built-in audience from where I used to work and a lot of local people who were really on board with the idea. But I would say the biggest challenge is just, ooh, let me think, um, 
I would say just the behind the scenes stuff is a challenge and you know knowing I, I think sort of even though I own, only have two employees and they're both part time I think just human resources just knowing you know what's okay and what's not okay I'm, I'm very careful with people like people is the area in which I don't want to make mistakes and I've made a couple and I'm, I'm not happy about it but um I, I read a book recently, the, um, the Danny Mayer book, Setting the Table. It's and good book. Um, he had a quote from someone else saying that the road to success is paved with mistakes well handled. And I think that's really important. I think, like, and it's something that I'd, I'd love to see more people, like, when they make mistakes, take ownership of them and take responsibility for them. Because uh, then you can apologize and, you know, you know, not to make them in the future. Like, there are many times where I wish someone had actually just said to me like, okay, I screwed up, I'm sorry, can we? But it's, it's something that, yeah, you, you're going to make mistakes in running a business, you are. Um, but it's, it's a lot better than just not trying, I guess. But the, yeah, the biggest challenge I would say is just all, all the behind the scenes stuff, I think. And, um, yeah, always also if you use iZettle, everyone, remember to verify it properly when you open. <laughs> Otherwise, you will have £10,000 just hanging around in the ether doing nothing. <laughs> that, is what, that is what I did. So don't do that. Do standard advice. Um, so same question to you. Newcastle in one sentence. Not championship losers six in a row, uh, but something <laughs> uh, more polite. Explain Newcastle in one sentence. Okay, it's absolutely nothing like the way it is depicted on Geordie Shore. So just ignore everything in that program. Um, Newcastle, I would say small, friendly, cold. <laughs> is about it. Not quite as rainy as Manchester, but still pretty rainy. So we're going to move on to talk a little bit more about um, expectations versus reality. Um, Colin, as a coffee shop owner, what was the difference between your expectations and reality of running a coffee shop? Oh, that's a tricky thing. Um, well, I think like I worked in a lot of coffee shops when I was in college or when I was in secondary school or in university so I kind of had a, a good insight into it but I think I, I do meet a lot of people just because we do wholesale now I meet a lot of people that want to open coffee shops and I talk to them about what their motivations are and a lot of the time they say oh well it's just you know I just love coffee shops I just spend all my time in coffee shops drinking coffee and reading newspapers and chilling out and I'm like dude keep doing that like because like, if, if you own a coffee shop you're you're not doing that anymore you're doing the other stuff I've I've yeah, I've actually talked about two people out of it when they've come with, with that kind of reasoning. Yeah. Bit of a killjoy, but... So realistic. I think, like, once you have a good grasp of, like, what, what's there, I don't know, it's... I don't know. I think my expectations are pretty much met. Like, my first or my second job was in McDonald's, so I'm kind of, like, I'm used to the service industry and what goes with it, but, and I love it. And that's... I, I tried to get away from it, and I was pulled back into it. So I kind of... My expectations are very much met, but I know I've met people who have, you know, spent the guts of a, the price of a house setting up a business, gotten two years into it and been like, I hate this, you know, so I think it's important to get your head around what, what it's actually going to be like. Alison, you're 18 months into BLK. Um, what does the business look like today compared to the business plan you started with? 
it's it's pretty similar to be honest like i um i mean it is a, a bricks and mortar business um a few people suggested maybe doing like a coffee truck or a van but then when i told them that i couldn't drive that was quickly nixed um <laughs> I've also been hit by a car before, so I don't like mechanically propelled vehicles anymore. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, it, it looks pretty similar. There are still things that I want to do, you know, like I, it's not cut and dried at all. There are things I want to do with, so I have quite an unusual space in that it's smaller downstairs uh, and bigger upstairs. So I want to do more in terms of like an area to have coffee tastings and training and events. But um, otherwise, it's pretty much in line with what I thought. Um, pretty small in terms of seats. We do a lot of takeout. Everything's quite steady. So yeah, I think my expectations were fairly modest. Um, the reality has been fairly similar. And also because I, you know, I worked in a really small business before. Um, I felt like I, you know, learned a lot by proxy. That meant that the, you know, I think if I had gone into it not having had that experience, it would be a totally different ball game. Um, Timothy, um, I want to ask you, kind of. Um, Call me Tim. Tim. Okay, I, I, I saw the Timothy, and some people get funny. That makes me happy. Um, so, you obviously had this very firm business plan of like this this London model in Harrogate right. how much did you have you had to adapt as the shop has been open have you seen that business plan change from the beginning to now or have you been able to follow pretty much what you wanted to do the proposition has been the same that we're this London inspired space um, we could have been a Barcelona inspired space so the cities in, in itself brings about the um, the opportunity to have that variety and scale so a lot of our roasters are London based so it gives us the opportunity to have flexibility. And not it's be good to help in. those little guys out down Absolutely. there as well. They need some help. <laughs> Just push along. It's motivate them. Although, with hindsight, the business plan has completely changed. What a lot of people don't realise is that outside of running a business, VAT, business rates, staffing. So the fantasy of running a coffee shop and being the pub landlord type of person. Thanks, John. The usual. See you next week. Doesn't happen as much as you think it does it can do and you can be that pub landlord or that coffee owner that knows everyone's drinks but if you don't pay your VAT or your business rates you're out of business and that's hard particularly when you have this fantasy of sitting in the coffee shop as a customer thinking oh, I'd love to run my own coffee shop but not being told about business rates or VAT and all of the other boring stuff that goes with it did you, did you ever reach a point where you were like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Because our idea of a coffee shop, if you like, was that people came in, they loved what you do, they gave you money. The reality was, some people come in and they don't like what you do. They want <laughs> toasted tea cakes. They want it extra hot, etc., etc., etc. So you have a fancy in your mindset about what your space will be. But the reality is, and we were fortunate that we were taught a few lessons by roasters, training being a, a big key factor, that customers will come in and they will almost evolve with you. They'll move your chairs where you thought your chairs will be to create their own. So you might have aligned your space in a way, but they'll move their chairs where they want them to be or they'll tell you what they want. So you have to be flexible, absolutely flexible. 
Yeah, we we opened our second place recently, and when the doors open, the customers start. Your man's like, "Well, they're doing this, and they're going over here now," and the guys are all panicking because they'd kind of done it before. Right. It's like, guys, it's their shop now. <laughs> like, right. we've done all we can, right. and now it's theirs. So yeah. we just gotta you gotta roll with it. Yeah. Um, Pete, our kind of, I, I'm interested in the, the 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 development of Grindsmith. Is you know, you started as a pod. Now you've kind of expanded into the like the shared workspace idea, and that you know the kind of whole concept has grown. Was that part of your original business plan when you got involved in the business, or is that something that's evolved with time? Um, I think I'd love to sit back and say it was all planned from the beginning. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I think that takes almost like a, a genius mindset, which we which we're definitely not. Um, it was all opportunity, I think, and. Um, I think Tim mentioned it before of, of being aware of what the industry is doing at the moment. So um, the reason that we um, got uh, Deansgate and then that grew into a co-working space was conversation. And one of the biggest advice that I've always thought is get to know people, um, engage with them. And if they give an opportunity to you, you say yes even if your brain is going, what on earth are you agreeing to? Go away, have a little cry, and then figure out how and make it happen. And I think for, for us, if I tried to put a timeline together of how on earth are we, we are at four units now, um, where did we find the money from? How did we get the contacts? That wasn't out of my own strength entirely. I didn't go out there and we're, we're not, um, you know, that people say, oh, we're really savvy. How do, you, how do you do it? And it was like, it's opportunity. People, people spoke to us. And the, the pod, the reason that we got uh, Deansgate evolved into a, a full permanent shop, it was uh, we purchased a trike because someone said, we need a pop-up shop. Uh, the landlord's giving the space away for free because you've got three months and then this co-working space is coming in. I didn't, I didn't know what co-working spaces were or members clubs. I wasn't of maybe, I had my, my life had never got to the point where I worked like that. So I was like, well, that sounds great. They're giving us the space for, for absolutely nothing. Um, we had a bit of money left over, so I was like, right, we'll invest in this mobile unit with the plan of um, when this place goes into a co-working space, we'll just take the trike and we'll do we're, we're weddings or we'll do events or we'll go back on the event circuit. Which, when we look back at it and go, that's why we went to the pod. Why on earth would we do that? But, but that, that, was the, that was that plan. And then um, one day, uh, the, the Liam, who was our kind of Saturday boy at the time, I was working in the pod. He was working on the trike. And all these corporates came in in suits and started sniffing around the place. And uh, he rang me and was like, something's happening. What's happening? I don't know. And I was like, I, I don't know either. And what it was, it was a meeting between Barclays, who were going to sponsor the space, and uh, Central Working, uh, who were normal London. They're, they were coming up to the north to do this club. And a guy walks up to Liam and says, uh, can I put all these drinks on a tab? He's like, so that's why I got a text. Do we do tabs? Uh, do they want one? Yes, let's do tabs. Um, and, and, they, and they just bought drinks all the day. And the, the funny story that they, people always came back to me and said, they weren't really talking about the space. They were talking how amazing this coffee was. And the owner of Central Working was there, spoke to Liam and said, is the guy who runs this around? He said, well, yeah, he's at the pod. So this guy came down called Steve and uh, met me, looked at one look at the pod and said, you need to do this, but I want you to do it at the front of our co-working space. I went, yes. Um, <laughs> he's like, have you got the money to do it? And mine went, no. My mouth went, yes. Uh, he's like, you've got the staff to do it? No, yes. Um, and, and he said, um, and this was in the, the, the October, 
He said, uh, oh, we're looking to launch November. So I said, a year, that's not a problem at all. We'll easily do that. He said, no, four weeks. Um, I said, do you want me to build a shop in four weeks? He was like, yeah, it'd be more like 20 days, really, when we actually get permissions through. So my mouth went, yes, not a problem. Going, how on earth are we going to do this? And it was, it was scrubbing the floors at like five o'clock in the morning and thinking we are not going to do this. And we literally took the last dust cover off and the people walked through the door and it was 125 people to do a, the launch of this accelerator co-working space that we decided to do food for. So they said, can you do canopies for 125 people? Yes, <laughs> we hadn't done food before, and then and then it launched, and it and it's still one of the where I was in a complete and utter chaos, and I swanned uh, like the expression I always say is it looked graceful, but on below the surface I was paddling like fury to get it done. You know you're confusing Alison over here, saying tabs. She's thinking something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said crack in Manchester, which is a very different uh, thing as well. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so with your um, problem with saying yes all the time that brings up financial kind of you know you had to build a shop in 20 days and I'm yes. always <laughs> I'm always inspired by the, the Grindsmith kind of uh, crowdfunding that you did to kind of start off tell us a little bit about because it was fairly early in the crowdfunding times as well it wasn't really that commonplace. Tell us a little bit about kind of why you went that route and, and what you had to do for that. Well, we were, we were inspired by Providero originally, um, from them uh, growing from a mobile unit to raising funds. And we thought, this is a brand new platform. We, we could test this out. Um, and we never knew the power that running something through, through crowdfunding would be. We, our goal was monetary. Not, that, that's what it's there for. You kept saying yes. Yeah. Um, let's, we were like, we're, we're 10 grand short of making this happen from uh, some self-investment, from a startup loans we had. We're like, we need, to, we need another 10 grand if we're going to do this. Um, and we looked at the ideas and thought, well, it, it fits the model. And we always um, went off a model of, of, of people, product, profits. And if we get the first two right, we don't need to worry about the last one. And for us, it was like, well, we need to be a people-focused business, and so let's put it out there. And if Manchester turns around and says, we don't like your idea, we don't want to put money towards your idea, then we won't do it. And we, we also had, we thought that it would be a small marketing campaign of, oh, we're almost pre-selling stock um, to grow the business. We'll have a little bit of a customer base before we open. But even now, people come up and say, I know about you because of your Kickstarter video, which was a little stop-motion um, video that we did. And uh, it was a bit silly at the time. And if, if you look very carefully, the logo's different in that video than it actually we, we launched with, one of those changes. Um, and, and it just was, was a roaring success. Now, it's an absolute roller coaster if you've ever done crowdfunding before. You, it's professional begging. Like, don't go away from the fact that you start like, judging friendships of like, well, he's my really good friend. Why is he not put 25 quid in? Like, no, actually, no, I won't judge my friendship on, on how much money they come in. And then you go into a bit of a state. But uh, in the end, when it, when it does pay off, it's, it's a well worth uh, adventure to go on. Um, Tim, I want to ask you, kind of, how did, uh, like, you know, how did you fund starting the shop? Was it savings? Did you go to the bank? Did you kind of rob family and friends? <laughs> like most people, um, I suppose inspiring and aspiring entrepreneurs you either ask your parents you do savings 
banks now, the market's changed. They're not lending as much. So uh, we did go to the bank. I remember very specifically the bank manager in Harrogate looking at myself and my wife saying, there's too many coffee shops in Harrogate. I don't think it will work. You know, computer says no stuff, although we knew it would work. So I'm not a huge fan of banks. So it was um, some savings. Uh, parents helped. And we just got started. That was the key. Looking back at the site when we first opened, it was a mess. It, was, it wasn't a mess. It was... It wasn't how it is now, that's just the evolution of any space. But you look back, we just got started. So it was their savings and, uh, and parental assistance that got us started. They call it the, uh, the three Fs, don't they? There's friends, families and fools, as the, the people you start of off fools. with. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a common thing for most people. They, um, when I started, I, I think I started with, I got like five grand from my dad. Uh, so I already had an espresso machine, I already had grinders, I already had cups, so all those sort of things I had, but I needed stuff to build the counters and do plumbing and stuff. And I didn't even get the five grand off him. He was like, how much is the plumbing? I was like, 1100. He's like, one, two. So you pay for it. I never saw it. It just went straight to the plumber. So. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a very, very common way for people to start businesses. And I kind of wanted that you came from working, um, working in a coffee shop to deciding to open your own coffee shop, even though you hadn't yeah. planned to. Um, no. Like, how did you find, you know, the because owning the shop's expensive. Like, yeah. Where did you go? <laughs> well, um, initially looked at funding options and, um, as Tim said, went to the bank. Um, I put together quite a detailed business plan um, going off a template generously provided by Matt North of Full Court Press fame, who provided me with many spreadsheets and encouragement. Uh, sent that off. Um, the funding application was turned down again because they said that uh, the street I was looking to open on had too many coffee shops on it already. Um, and it was very much a case of cafes, places selling coffee, but as a compliment to other stuff or just coffee, you know. Uh, so I fretted for about a day because the idea was my dad was going to put half of it forward because um, he's a hero. Uh, and the other half uh, was going to go come through the bank. Then that didn't go and I sort of fretted for a day thinking, okay, that's it, done. And then my dad was like, okay, well, I'll just have to, I'll just have to, something all then he was like I, I trust that you know what you're doing I've seen you you know leave the house at half past five every morning waiting for somebody else he was like if you can put that kind of energy into running your own business then you're good and um, he also made me quit my old job so he kind of had a responsibility to help me on the next thing so but he is he is like without hyperbole a hero like it would not exist I, I kind of think help. of him as a hero as well because he pops up on your Instagram and Facebook <laughs> accounts doing these ridiculous things every week and I'm like ha 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 listen to his dad I, he's I'll, like I'll, my hero he's, he's actually in line for Tamper Tantrum uh, Coffee Hero of the Year oh yeah I at, think our, so. at our random coffee like, I think so he's, he's like he's like a legend among the customers and my staff love him as well like I turned up the other day and he was just he was behind the counter and um, I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just cleaning the dishwasher. Like he just finds things to do to help because he knows that I probably won't have time to get around to them. Then he's putting up coat hooks and he, he soundproofed my machine as well because I had a really noisy pump on the machine <laughs> and it was annoying him. So I came in and it was covered in felt, but he is just a total hero. Does he do consultancy? Could I get him over for a while? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll ask. <laughs> Um, he is, uh, yeah. One of my employees found him on the roof the other week as well, just <laughs> for no apparent reason. But um, yeah, so family, 
family's very important, especially to me. My um, yeah, my family have been super supportive. They're yeah, they're just I just I owe them everything. Can oh, I can I, I throw one at you? Where, where did you get all the money from? <laughs> well, I, I was just before you. No, that wasn't like an that. answer. Before you did that, <laughs> I, 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 I think no, you stole you did it. That, I was about to tell Alison a story about the bank manager. This will happen to you one day. So, yeah. 2002, I went to the bank and I asked to borrow two and a half thousand pounds to buy a two kilo roaster. Yeah. And the bank said no. So I managed to get the money together anyway and kind of did it. And then around about a month ago, I got a phone call from the local chamber of commerce asking if I would go and do a talk for them, which I'm doing in a couple of weeks, just on the, the business. And the guy says, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, no, he says, you came to me uh, like about 14 years ago and asked me to borrow some money and I said no. And I was like, oh, yeah, then I will come and speak, definitely. That's like the, that's like the guy who... Um wouldn't sign the Beatles or whatever, wasn't it? Or said that guitar music would never take off. I do think I'm bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't smug, were you, when you were talking oh, to them? Steve, tell the truth. There was a little bit of smugness, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, I, I, I started with two and a half thousand pounds in the garage back at home um, that was savings. It was just, yeah, took me a little while to get it together. Um, so... Advice. I think we all look for advice, and you kind of talked about your dad. I think that's a really good link in um, for advice on fixing the pump to make it quieter. Yeah, he's not an entrepreneur. Like he, no. um, yeah, I'm, I'm often baffled by some of his suggestions. He's very good technical help. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you have people that you can bounce off? You, I mean, you, for instance, you mentioned Joe. Joe Merger earlier, like yeah. he's, I think he's a pretty kind of switched on guy building a business yeah. and, and I know that you're friends. Do you have other people like that that you can bounce I off I don't for? know if I've ever asked Joe for entrepreneurial advice. Joe and I usually just bicker about he, coffee. He normally gives it freely to me all oh, the yeah. time. You, you should do this. <laughs> it's, I think it's very easy to, yeah, I think it's very easy to do that. I think most of my, um, any kind of business advice probably came from Matt. Matt North from Full Court Press. I went down for a weekend to Bristol, basically just picked his brain, uh, got lots of spreadsheets, had a chat. Um, and any advice I got from other people, I think, was people trying to talk me out of it <laughs> in the <laughs> beginning. Um, there are a couple of people here. Brian, who writes for uh, Brian, of Brian's Coffee Spot fame, he tried to talk me out of it. And my friend Dave Jameson from Union, I think he tried to talk me out of it as well. Um, which is fair enough. I understood both of their arguments, but I just barreled ahead anyway because I'm stubborn and I didn't know what else to do. Um, but I'm trying to think. Entrepreneurial advice. I, I, I read a lot of books. And I know, as you said, you can't learn everything from a book, but I think it's great just to have that kind of guidance anyway or at least someone else relaying their experiences. Um, there is a book coming soon that you can learn from, though. <laughs> available, I'm not actually, available in all good bookstores. I'm genuinely really looking forward to that because I feel like there's a lot of literature on coffee as a, a product. Um, and I feel like there's a growing amount of literature on resource, but no one really tells you what to do when someone comes in and tries to hit you. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've actually That's read, happened to me, too, so don't feel too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But we moved on from that. Someone goal. threw a table at me. Yeah? Like literally chew a table at me, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like that a lot. Um, I've actually had a sneak peek of the book and um, I've read the first few couple of chapters. It's quite, it's fun. Yeah, it's good. I, uh, but? But, um, 
I'm sure it'll get worse. It's Colin, coming. I, I'm going to ask you a kind of question, Colin. Like, who do you go to for entrepreneurial advice? I mean, do you kind of go that book route, or do you have somebody you can confide in? Or I, I don't go to. There's one person I don't go to him. He comes to me repeatedly and says, "You know what you should do." And that's my dad. dad. Yeah. So he um, he he comes. To the ca- my office is above the cafe, and he comes into the coffee shop and has meetings with his. Uh, meeting people and um, we'll be in, I'll be in a meeting upstairs and he'll come up and he'll just like he just open the door like alright Colin who's this and I'm like dad I'm in a meeting I'm doing business and he's just like haha of course you are you know what you should do and then I but like he really is a, a really good source of, of help and advice to me and, and isn't from the coffee world so when I'm talking about something he's like Colin that's fucking stupid it doesn't make any sense and I'm like it doesn't really does it and he's like no I'm like alright cool and then we get a bit of a reality check there's another guy um, who's my business partner who we won't really mention, who's uh, pretty good at giving advice as well. Um, quite critical as well at times, maybe, no? Yeah, so Steve obviously has been very good uh, at giving advice and help. Um, as much as I really hate to say it, uh, James Hoffman, good at advice. Really? Asshole. Uh, well, yeah, he's been pretty good. And then I think where I opened the Twisted Pepper, uh, the guy Trev, who owned the building, was a nightclub. Where, and I, my shop was a, a coffee shop in the lobby of a nightclub. It made perfect sense at the time. Um, he was, uh, he's, yeah, it'd be great as well. So, But the thing about running a coffee shop, I'd say you guys probably find this the same thing, is that it tends to attract people that run businesses and they're in different types of businesses. So you're like, I don't know what to do about the windows and then a window salesman comes in and goes, well, actually, if I was you, I'd do this, this and this. And it's, you have, you're always one customer away from any sort of discipline, like no matter what it is, you know? So I think being owning a coffee shop in itself draws people towards you, you know? So um, kind of when setting up Grindsmith, what, what hurdles were in the way for you and how did you kind of overcome like barriers that were there you said like the council were super helpful that's very unusual but like were there other barriers that were there you're thinking how are we going to get past this and and how did you solve that yeah i think i think the um the the finance one that we will touch on will always rear its head no matter um no matter what you do you need you need cash to do it um so looking at different ways that we could get through with being refused bank loans and um, looking about it in a different way, seeing what resources were available to us. Uh, staffing, I think, was, was one hurdle to understand in the beginning that the people that you hire are passionate individuals, but they're not as passionate as you will be. And they have a job on the line and you have your livelihood on the line and it makes you respond differently. So how, how you build your culture in a business to retain good staff members, how you attract them, how you train them, how you keep them safe and how you pay them enough um, to make them want to stay, um, I think is a, is a constant challenge. And as, as, we, as we grow, that, that is more and more. I think what we really focus on now is making sure that we create value um, for our staff members and for our customers and retaining that. Um, Yelp reviews, that's a, ba- that's a barrier. I hate Yelp. Sorry if there's any reps in the room. Um, just uh, everybody's a reviewer, um, and you, you put your absolute heart and soul into a business. Uh, you try and trade um, you know, the best product that you possibly can, um, and then you get a one star on whatever review platform is it, and your reaction to that, like they say you grow a thicker skin, but it still pings on your phone. It's like customers left you a review, and you're like, 
uh, yeah, it's going to earn. <laughs> um, and and I think I think overcoming that of of you think that one Facebook review is suddenly that oh, that's was over. No, our ratings dropped. Uh, we failed. Yeah, we're we're going to drop the ratings. Do you pay um, a lot of attention to them? Um, I think I'm. Um, some people, I've got friends in the audience who probably agree, that say I'm a little bit control freaky, you know? Um, no. You know, and, and, and the word perfectionist has been passed around. Um, I think one of the, the hardest things of opening business is that you get to learn about the darkest parts of yourself. And, you know, the bits that you like, there's the outward bit that you portray, you know, you, you're fully confident, you, you're, you're very well skilled, you're great with people and then you just get attacked from every angle to be like, you're not good at this, you're not good at this, you're not good at this. And one of the things, if, if you're looking to open, is, is try and, ex however you get to that place beforehand, of just understanding who you are, how you react to things, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. And I think I try and play my uh, want of control to, uh, uh, as a strength, but one of my biggest things to overcome is to let people get on with it and to trust them. And I can't have an eye on everything, and, and I tried to, and I think I was burning myself out, and the staff were feeling micromanaged because I wasn't giving them what I'm paying them to do. Yeah. Um, and it was about them getting, um, there's, a, there's our kind of management team at the moment is they're all very skilled in the area that they've been recruited to do. And it's great to see them around the table now because I've actually said, you know, I, th I think I still jump in at some points. That's my job, you know, I think. Yeah. But instead of feeling like I've, holding on to everything all the time. I think business owners in general are very, um, find it difficult to let go of those things, but we're very tolerant of our own mistakes. Like made mistakes, it's all about learning, you know, like I've made thousands of mistakes on my journey. And then when your staff makes mistakes, you're like, you idiot, what are you making mistakes for? And it's like, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of courage to let people, like to learn from that, 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 the learning curve, you know, and to experience that learning curve, because that's, it's a gift that you can give them to let them experience that and suffer the consequences of it, because that's what's going to make them get better at what they do. Yeah, I think there's a really relevant story that's happened just last week. Um, Sam from Mork Chocolate, if he's still here, uh, we've just set up the, the um, contract with them, and um, my, my staff are responsible now for setting up those controls and systems. And uh, we had a few managers away, and I was like, I love to get back on the shop floor as, as much as possible. I think that's where you learn the most as a business owner. You try and do it remotely, but sometimes you just get back on there. It's what I love to do. I love, I love serving customers. I love making coffee. Um, so I need to remind myself why I'm in it sometimes. And when I get a bit stressed with the, the spreadsheets and VAT, oh, I love VAT, um, you know, the, the, I, I jump back on and go and do what I love. And um, the, on the, the sheet that day was order hot chocolate. I was like, oh. Oh, I've not done this system yet. So uh, I was like, oh, everything was in place. And um, I, was, I'm, I get distracted very, very easily. Uh, people see when I'm on my phone, it's like, you need to, I need to be looking at you in the eye or I'm, I'm not listening to you. And um, I was talking away to someone, I was typing in, I was like, uh, oh, do I need four kilos, five kilos? I actually wrote 45 kilos in and sent it <laughs> off. Um, and, and luckily, um, Sam gave us a call and was like, either business is going really well. Um, and it was the first moment where, where I, I would have just at, sold it to you. Yeah, I looked at it and, and it was a funny moment because all the staff picked up on it because they all pinged off on their emails as well for the shop email, like Pete's ordered 45 kilos. And it was, <laughs> it was a nice point of like, these guys are doing a really good job. Um, and I had always felt that I came back in and contributed and did it better. I need to be better. I need to pour better than everyone else in the shop. I need to run it better. But it was a really humbling moment to go, no, these guys are, these guys are doing well. Ha, ha, ha.
like that. I um, shit like that all the time. <laughs> Tim, um, same question to you, really. Like, what hurdles did you have to overcome to, to kind of get the business to where it is today? And any advice you can give to to everybody here and watching uh, on video? Again, Harrogate's a small, spar town, so we haven't really got the critical mass in terms of staffing. Um, we were very fortunate that we had a young, um, inspiring individual. Ollie Sears now at North Star. He was our first customer, walked past when we were fitting out and um, was with us from the start. So retention has been um, one of our assets, but also one of our disadvantages. Um, as a spa town, you haven't got that critical mass like a city has, where people want to work in this space. Or if they want to work in the space, they're going traveling in September, or they're uh, at university, but they're just trying it out. So um, I think coffee's changed. I think the industry's changed. People want to work in our industry. It's exciting to work our industry. Um, I know a lot of people think uh, being a hipster is cool. So people want to work in it because it's cool. But I think outside of being cool, it's actually credible. It's credible to be in this industry. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work in this industry. It's a people industry. Outside of making money and profit, which I think is important as a business, not to forget that. Uh, perhaps some people think, oh, no, I don't mind not making money. That's foolish. You have to make money. Um, However, it is about the people. It's about the people that walk through your doors. Everyone, I'm sure, if they work in a coffee shop, has that one regular customer. Whether for us, it's, it's Margaret, age 80, has a black Americano, or whoever your version of Margaret is, everyone's got that one customer, and you get to know those customers. And I think that's what's really important. So our initial hurdle was, was staffing. Off the back of that, we had a good retention rate, born through value and value proposition, which you touched on on your, on your sheet there. As long as, and the phrase I used to ask staff is, own the message. You know, we were a London-inspired space, so we could utilize all of what London offered, which was the culture, the difference, the variety. For yourself, Newcastle, difference, you know, a female owner, not many of, so the gender issue there, it may or may not be a consideration, but so it's something that's becoming more apparent now. Diversity, race, for example, Scandinavian, Nordic being different. So having that USP in terms of difference, I think it's really important moving forward. Um, I think so. Do you um, did you have much experience like being the boss before? Because that was one of the things I really really struggled with early on was actually. That's because I was in charge, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> fuck. Um, but like actually like I don't know. Had you had you a lot of management experience before? I, I had. I was fortunate. I, my background in psychology, then worked for various publishing companies, worked for the Institute of Directors. So I'd worked at a corporate level before, so understood corporate structure. Um, however, outside of corporate structure, the problem with corporate structure, it's very corporate. <laughs> and so when you work in customer, what I call customer engagement, customer service is very, what I call Downton Abbey, it's very subservient. The times of serving are over. You have to engage with your customers now. You can't just, anyone can serve. Right? Anyone can serve a customer, but it's about customer engagement. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> That's now mine. Just blank that tape, Jen, if you can. It's mine. <laughs> so it is all about really just pushing forward. And as the market grows and you know, coffee prices will increase, and as the market gets squeezed, your point of difference has to be that customer engagement. Because there's going to be another coffee shop or another specialty Scandi bar or whatever it is. But if you haven't got that point of difference, whether it's knowing Margaret's Americana or whatever she has, then you're pretty much going to be out of the game pretty quickly, in my opinion. Um, I think it's time to kind of move it on from the more general uh, kind of tour that we're doing to kind of looking more up north, because that's where we are. It's Cup North. Being a northerner, 
I am a northerner, yeah? We decided that, Carl. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I decided that. Am I a northerner? Uh, no, you don't want to be a northerner. Okay. You want to be a southerner, remember? Can I be a northerner, Alison? <laughs> Me. Me, can I be one? Are you a northerner? Yeah. Uh, you're Irish. <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. <laughs>